we have never, I want to be clear, implied that Dan Mullen pees no. his pants because he likes how it feels on his khakis, right? We, we never, never implied that. We don't think it's true. Dan Mullen is an adult man. There's no way that that happens. We would never imply or think that he pees himself just so he can feel it on his khakis. And in fact, Your Honor, I would say for the record that it is spurious. It is, it is slanderous to imply that we have ever said that. We have never said that Dan Mullen pisses on himself intentionally to feel it on his khakis. Mm-mm. Welcome to Chapel Belker, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I am Justin. And we're here today to review what I, I feel like it's the day after Christmas. I'm I, I'm about five pounds heavier, and I'm still a little hungover from all the sugar and carbs. And I'm playing with my new Christmas presents, and I haven't yet cleaned up all the wrapping paper. And in that <laughs> same way, we are here to review last Saturday's UGA Christmas, which was the Florida game, a game in which if you have been asleep for the last 72 hours, which why wouldn't you, uh, Georgia won 34 to seven. So sure did. Let's start with some subjective experiences. Justin, how was your day? What did you do? I was a, it was a lovely day. It was for the first time in two months. I I slept in and then that was how my perfect day began. Uh, I slept in, I watched approximately I believe after that, nine episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, which is the most TV I've watched in a long time. I don't watch. Oh, a lot did of you TV, watch season? So it was a really. Did nice you watch time. season three? No, I just watched the Are first season. season. I had never, never seen oh. a, like the whole season, so I just started oh, over and so watched my good. TV. It was it's great. so good, Justin. Laszlo, so Laszlo is literally my favorite character on television. <laughs> you haven't even gotten to Jackie Daytona. I'm so excited no, for I you. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, I went over and uh, enjoyed the game with family. And it was a nice, easygoing time. Uh, then after that, you know, I'm just skipping through all the, the football things. Because what was really important was that it was the Wild Rumpus here in Athens. And so I went and I, I Wild Rumpus and I danced. And it was all very, very nice and good. I enjoyed what it very was your, much. Did you have a costume? Of course I had a costume. Anna and what I What was your costume as, this year? We were Mary Poppins and Bert. And so I covered my face and body in uh eyeshadow <laughs> so I could get that real sooty look, you know, and Anna kept telling people yeah. I was the dirtiest boy. Uh and it was great. I had a great time. I made my own little like chimney sweep and I danced around on it. I had a great yeah. time. <laughs> that's a that's a a really delicate balance, right? <laughs> to be slit face and not black face. That must have been some real. I did I, I actually. Did, I was in the bathroom. You did some real vetting on that one. Yeah, I was in the bathroom and I, I, I pulled in. I was like, you know, I think that if I get any dirtier, I may be venturing into dark uh, blackface. And she was like, Yeah, you should stop. Like, well, because we are Thank in you. future, we are in future politician blackface season, right? So, so oh this yeah, is when this everyone. Is Everyone who's going to be running for Senate in 2032 is currently deciding whether or not they want to be in blackface, right? So. Oh, yeah. Saturday night, they, like at any given point in time, there was every hour on the hour, I'm sure, some, you know, uh, affluent white child who was ruining their, their future job opportunities. Well, that's life. Anyway, so you, <laughs> you didn't really... <laughs> too sad. Uh, so you didn't really have, I guess, a lot of actual in-game... 
I, stuff. I did to sit on the couch. About. I enjoyed the game itself. I was going to wait until we got into it because, you know, subjectively speaking, I, I had a, you know, the first quarter was weird. The rest of the game mm-hmm. was great. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, and I think this was probably everybody's experience the fact that we're watching the game, nail biting. You know, I think that, that everybody's everybody's kind of experience over the uh, over the game, the course of the game was, uh, if you blinked or left the couch for any amount of time in the last two minutes of the first half, you you do not know what happened in the least bit. I remember turning around and I was like, "Huh, everything is very different now." And then just looking back at the timestamps and realizing, then two minutes and nine seconds, Georgia finished the game essentially. In those middle eight, mm-hmm. so it was it was absolutely bonkers, just the the way that that game turned around, um, and then the rest of the game was fine. Listen to the rest of the game on the radio as we we, we headed home and, and got ready for the wild rumpus and everything, and yeah, just overall a really a really very good Athens time, I will say. But I know that you traveled down to the neutral ground that is Jacksonville, uh, and mm-hmm. so I'd love to hear a little bit more about your full experience. Well, it wasn't neutral. It was 95% UGA fans by the end of the game. (laughs) Uh, So, first of all, on Friday, I want to shout out Brantley County and Brantley County High School. The Redcoats did practice in Brantley County, which we went down there and we had a got a practice in and had like such an amazing reception. It was really crazy. We got down there and we thought it was just going to be a practice. I didn't realize like the scale of what it was going to be because there were like 300 high school kids and the it was like the whole junior high and the whole middle school were just fill, had just filled up this little like 1A South Georgia stadium and they flipped out the entire time the band was on the field. Like everything they played, (laughs) everything they did, there was like 300 children just screaming. And it was like a really good, a a really like powerful morale moment, I think, to have like talk about a good audience, man. The probably the most responsive audience I've seen the Redcoats have in like a decade. It was, it was like really crazy. It was, it was really cool. Uh, Lino Ray is uh, the middle school director there who was a, who is a, a trumpet with the Redcoats. And then the high school director is a guy who was a trombone player with Redcoats, whose name is, I think it's Noah something, and I can't remember his last name. Um, and they were both kind enough to host us. And so it was a really good time. And, oh yeah, and then, you know, we called the Sousaphones up and the Sousaphones played and everybody freaked out. And we played some stands tunes. And the Sousaphones played really well. So it was a really good time. Uh, let's see. The game itself, we just got a very nice sound system to mic our front ensemble, which we had ordered way earlier in the year and was supposed to come before the beginning of the year, but then, you know, COVID supply chain stuff. And it came like two weeks ago. So this was the game that we debuted this very complicated sound system at. And so that was really basically how I spent the last 72 hours. Like the Brantley County practice, part of it was just so we could practice rolling the sound system around. And then on Saturday, we had this really, really good plan and i worked with the front ensemble and the props crew and i just want to shout out the props crew and their props crew chiefs especially natalie uh they do such a good job and i was very lucky to work with them and basically because of them we got everything done and i did very little except like stand there and have a polo on so they could go where they (laughs) needed to go uh so but that was very it's very high it's very high intensity i like the experience of doing halftime was really wild because we got down there and I guess I can just like roll in this into a mini rant, which is not rant, but just it was I had talked to the guy that was at the gate of the tunnel that we were going to use. And I had said, hey, 
I'm going to have a bunch of Redcoat band members with me, and we're going to roll out before the team comes out. Because we had to go out onto the field on through the same tunnel that team, the team was going into their locker rooms, right? We went out mm-hmm. on the field, like, right past the locker rooms. And so, you know, they had it all, like, gated off with the, like, uh, cow, cattle fencing kind of, like, crowd control gates or whatever, like, they have. And so they – I told them before – I told this guy and his manager, I was like, okay, the band's going to come through before the team goes out. We have permission to do this. Like we talked to the university. We have an email from the university. They said, it's cool. We we have an email from the athletics and the guy's like, cool. So we came down there like eight minutes before halftime. And the guy's like, where's, where are y'all's passes? And I was like, well, we're the band. (laughs) Cause I was just like, you have like, I'm standing there looking at him. And I could have handled it better because I didn't get angry or anything. I just like totally blanked out because behind me was like f- five marimbas, you know, five vibraphones, a drum set on a cart, and then like four giant speaker carts. And I was just like, I, I don't know. What I'm you not sure to what say, to say man. to you. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm not even angry at you. I know you're just doing your job, but like we have to go out there, uh, and we got it resolved. So we get out there. And speaking of your sort of like turn away and you miss it thing. You know, we get out there and we kind of have to like get everybody in the right. It's like a layer cake because we had to be behind the stadium off or behind the the behind the uh, bench off of the mat. They have this like mat that goes from like the twenty to twenty, which is like the players area, and you can't mm-hmm. be on it at all before the end of the before the game or the before halftime or whatever. And so we had to sort of like get people in the right like layer cake layers so that it was like pit and then the horn line. So we're like moving people around. And I'm running around. and I'm like talking to like the people who are doing the like filling up the power aid. I'm like, Hey, can we just move this cooler over like two feet so we can get this room in here? And they're like, I'm talking like the team doctor, like, Hey, can we move this like auction tank over like two feet? Cause they wheeled the auction tank after over after the first interception. And Nolan Smith was like huffing and puffing. But all the way through that, it was like the first in the first strip, like the strip sack mm-hmm. from Nolan Smith. I was like, I was like, Oh, cool. Great. Uh, I have to go do like 30 more things. Right. And so I, I thought we were going to run out of time the whole time, right? Because we had oh, like yeah. a minute and a half left. And I'm just like running around. I'm like, okay, where's house power? Oh, we forgot an extra power cord. Okay, so we're going to have to run it off the batteries we have. So is the battery system charged? And then it's like, okay, do we have all, all of the speaker carts in the right place? And like, do we have, are the cords long enough? And blah, 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 blah. And then I look up and it's like, oh, we scored. Great, 10 to nothing. And then I turn around, blah, you know, and I'm like running around again. And then like, I look up again and it's like, oh, Okay, Nolan Smith has an interception. And then that was when I like got back into the game. Uh, and it was just like, we scored after the interception. I was like, hold on, we're up 17 to nothing now? What happened? Like, I like missed a full touchdown because it was so fast. Like, and when I rewatched this game, I thought that my like experiential, like being on the sidelines as it all happened, had like warped my perception of what was happening. But like, no, it was really that fast. Like, it really was like, it was so it's fast. It's three to nothing. It's three to nothing. Now it's 24 to nothing. Uh, okay, cool. Let's play a good halftime show. Um, so that was really good. And then I met my mom and her wee Scottish friend, her Emily Dickinson friend, <laughs> uh, Jane, uh, for brunch after on Sunday. And that was really fun. And I want to shout them out because they asked and they guilted me because they said, you don't shout your mother out on your podcast enough. And one of them <laughs> had a Scottish accent. And let me tell you, that was just like right through the heart. So I just want to say mom and Jane, I love you both. And you have nothing to do with any rental company, including U-Haul. Um, anyway, so 
Then on the way home, I went to Bucky's for the first time because there's a Bucky's in Jacksonville now, that now. And that was like baby's first Bucky's trip was like, I was so overwhelmed and I bought like about 8,000 calories and sugary and salty snacks. And, oh, yeah. And um, yeah, so it was a really good, it was a really good trip, man. I really enjoyed it. Bucky's, I love all of Bucky's billboards. Because uh, yeah. you know Bucky's is coming for the next two hundred miles. They give you they like you hundred, know. yeah, one hundred and fifty miles. Yeah, I, I definitely, I went in there not prepared, because like I was, I drove down there and back with Michael, who's another one of the band staff, who's from Texas, and he like did the he did the thing where like you go like when your friend tells you they haven't seen Star Wars and they want to watch Star Star Wars with you, and you're like, okay, information blackout. I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> you just have to watch it and then we'll talk about it afterwards. And so like mm-hmm. I was like, I've never been to Bucky's before when we were like 10 miles from Bucky's. And he was like, okay, we will not speak about this. Do not ask me questions. And so I got <laughs> in there and I was like, what the fuck is going on, man? This is I a, was like, a, there's a, a gas station? <laughs> he's like, no, it's really like a Walmart. And I'm like, this is not a Walmart. It's like warm and inviting and cheap and everyone is like nice and it's like an irony free zone where nothing hurts. Like, you know, it's like I felt I felt like the like that there's a really good video of Anthony Bourdain getting drunk and going to Waffle House. And it's you can incredible. tell at first he, he he kind of like thinks that he's above it and then like he has the first bite of the waffle and he's like Oh my god, this is the best thing that ever happened. It's like I wish there was a Bucky's every ten miles on the interstate. Oh, yeah. I wish that we had built Bucky's with Dwight Eisenhower's money, like <laughs> when we built the interstates. Like just like built them into the, the bones of the nation. Yeah. God, it was so fun. What's this whole thing? Uh, it's part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's part of it. We're part of it. So oh, okay. So we, I have a couple of things I do want to talk about before we mm-hmm. get on to actually talking about the game. Um so you know, Justin and I have worked on this project together creatively for about half a decade. We never really did it for the notoriety. Um, <laughs> we we did think that we might get notoriety for like our opinions about football, and not for yeah. implying that not for implying that Dan Mullen. We have never, I want to be clear, implied that Dan Mullen pees no. his pants because he likes how it feels on his khakis. Right? We, we never implied that. We don't think it's true. Dan Mullen is an adult man. There's no way that that happens. We would never imply or think that he pees himself just so he can feel it on his khakis. And in fact, Your Honor, I would say for the record that it is spurious. It is slanderous to imply that we have ever said that. We have never said that Dan Mullen pisses on himself intentionally to feel it on his khakis. Mm -mm. However, I do want to give credit where credit is due because we were not the ones who came up with the idea of the fact that, no, Dan Mullen does not piss on himself to feel it on his khakis. that's not what we're saying. We, we we were not the first people to say that that's not true. Uh, we want to give that that credit no, we'll to be my the brother. Last. My, we won't be the last, but we didn't start it. And we, you know, at, at Chapel Bell Curve, as everyone knows, like our watchword, the core of the bones of the show is integrity. And so it would it would be a lack of integrity of us to say that Dan Mullen pisses his pants because he likes the way it feels on his khakis mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. giving credit to the fact that we stole that joke from my brother, my brother and me, who I believe said that, Oh, said that they weren't saying that Ted Cruz pees himself because he mm. likes to feel on his khakis. So they never said that. And we never no. said that about Dan Mullen either. But we want to give credit because integrity is important to us and so is professionalism. And, you know, that we know that Dan Mullen, as a uh, employed member of the University of Florida, of Florida Athletic uh, Program, the August Institution, we know that he would never pee his pants because he liked it. And, in fact, Mm-mm. we also know that if he did, we don't kink shame. 
So that no. if he just wanted to do something because he liked it, as long as everyone is a consenting adult, we would be totally fine with Dan Mullen peeing himself just because he likes how it feels on his khakis. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so we just wanted to set the record straight vis-a-vis our, the fact that we are not saying that Dan Mullen pees on his pants and is a little Mm-mm. piss baby at all. Vis-a-vis and Dan that, Mullen's khakis. Yeah, vis-a-vis Dan Mullen's khakis. We think that Dan Mullen's khakis are Dan Mullen's business. And let me just add one more thing. I think that we should give Dan Mullen a lifetime contract at the University of Florida. I think the University of Florida should feel lucky to have a man of his quality, to have Mm -hmm. a coach that they know will never pee himself because he likes it, and have a coach that they know if he does, it'll be his business, because why you got to bring that junk up, and to have Mm -hmm. a coach that consistently attains top five in the SEC recruiting classes, that goes nine and four in important years, that beats teams in the bottom tier of the SEC, and who has gone to an SEC championship. Don't get rid of this guy. He's a genius. He's an absolute genius. And and I think uh, the mark of his genius is, can, I mean, can you look at most coaches in the SEC and say they've never pissed on themselves just because they like the feel of it running down their khakis because it's so warm? No, you can't say that. But you can't say that about Dan Mullen because we're not saying that he does that. Mm-mm. That would not be what he was doing. That's anyway. not a thing we would say. No, nope, this is not a at show all. about football, not about Dan this is Mullen. A show, this is a show about football. Absolutely. All 100%. right. Extend Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen <laughs> should have a Dan Mullen should have a Mark Stoops contract where every time he wins seven games, he gets like six more years. I want Dan Mullen. I hope Dan Mullen lives forever. I hope Dan Mullen is like Keanu <laughs> Reeves and never leaves the University of Florida. And I I can't I I mean, look. Florida is unequivocally a top 10, maybe a top five college coaching job in the nation. And I got to say, I mean, you got to really be impressed with his one and four record versus Kirby Smart and his own one record versus Nick Saban. And I personally think that how could we let the dean of SEC college football? And yeah, I know that what you're saying, he hasn't been in the SEC the longest, so he's not technically the dean. But I would say that he's definitely the dean of not pissing himself because he likes the way it feels, right? Because he doesn't do that at all. So... Mm-hmm. All right. Do you want to? Can, right, can we talk about the football My God. now? <laughs> it was like the record just kept skipping. You couldn't stop. <laughs> I, got, I don't know what. Every right, time you. I say piss, I have to say it three more times. <laughs> I have to keep it going. I'm trying to do the thing where you, you like just tweet something enough that it becomes real. It's like this. Now, the, doing, it's this like, is the audio version of that. This is ASMR for people who like are grossed out by talk about this is like immersion therapy for people who are averse to pee <laughs> it's like you're keanu reeves and i'm sandra bullock and this podcast is the the bus from speed and the the 65 miles per hour is piss talk about coach dan mullen from florida yeah and we have to keep who, it going or else we will all die yes yes if we slow down this podcast explodes and you it don't explodes. want that we have all these good people on our patreon who for some reason paid one dollar to get on this bus and god only knows this bus reeks of piss at this point so why yeah. are they even here we got to get the swat team in here we got to get keanu and sandra we got to get these people out of here because this bus slows down i mean and this thing just feels like this thing smells like a mattress at a cat sanctuary at this point like we gotta <laughs> We gotta clean. It's in the it's in the structural beams right now. This bus, this bus. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to get down and like bleach the carburetor out to get the piss and smell out of this podcast. I gotta tell you, we're we're in trouble here, guys. Uh, anyway, let's talk about Shakespeare. I have a quote that I want to read today uh, from. Let's talk about Shakespeare. Let's do it. 
Let's talk about football. So, in Act Fuck 5, out. Scene 6 of Big Death. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't off the rails right now. I'm just in a good mood because I hate Florida so much. <laughs> oh, God. I hate oh, these guys man. so much. Oh, God. I do have a Macbeth quote prepared, though, if you'd like me to read it now. Oh, yes, please do. Yep. Well, we're going to need All a right. palate cleanser that is piss. Yeah, not piss, we got to get, we got to use, you know, here, we're all about, you know, college football eats the whole buffalo, you know, they, that's their thing is they like, or, or split zone dudo rather eats the whole buffalo of college football, uh, where they talk about all the different games, even the games between lower teams and I like to think that we eat the whole buffalo of the experience of being around an aging millennial who has watched too much anime and didn't have enough dates in high school, right? We want to really get the full, the full picture, like toe to tip of what it's oh, yeah. like to be that person. So don't miss any. Anyway, and I'm, I let's just go ahead and call that this might be the cold open. Uh, this is Macduff in Act Five, Scene Six. He's holding Macbeth's hand or Macbeth's head that he's cut off. Hail, king, for so thou art. Behold, where stands the usurper's cursed head. The time is free. I see thee compassed with thy kingdom's pearl. They uh, that speak my salutation in their minds, whose voices I desired aloud with mine. Hail, king of Scotland. Hail, Macbeth. And hail, Dan Mullen. Long may he reign as the coach of the University of Florida. Let's talk about the game. Gameonpaper.com forward slash CFB is where we get our advanced box scores. Let's go over it. Justin, observations, thoughts. Oh, hold on. I gotta get my fucking mind right again. <laughs> uh, hold on. I'm going over the stats. Jeebs. Okay. Oh, man. Hold on. I want to look. This is what I want to look at. I want to look at this win expectancy real quick. This win expectancy and see where it just tanks. Uh, because, well, actually, so this is really interesting. Um, well before even. Where is this? Game seconds elapsed. 1227, 1248. Do, do, do. Hey, how many minutes is 1,391 seconds? Quick. 1,391 seconds? Yeah. Okay. It's right below. It's right before halftime. So this is when. So let me just say this. At no point in this game did Georgia have lower than 73. Three percent win probability, uh, which I just think is outstanding. Even even in the first quarter, yeah. when we were kind of having a moment, where we were like, "Well, we're not really getting the like the wheels, or we're really not getting any traction. We're not really going anywhere." It seems. Even then, didn't really matter. Uh, by the time that the game was in hand, uh, we were at <laughs> a ninety-eight percent win percentage. So we were well past eighty percent even before all the defense scored all those points, which is just wild to me. Um, One thing that I do really, really, really just want to spend some time on is this work of art that is the middle eight plays for this game. My God. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is... My uh, God. This is... I want to crop just this this bit here, and we're going to sell it as merch is what we're going to do. Uh, We're just going to crop it, frame it, and sell it on the merch store is is what's going to happen. Oh, boy, because so uh, in two minutes and nine seconds in the middle eight, uh, Georgia turned the entire game around, as we said before. So middle eight plays. Georgia had eight plays during these middle eight. Florida had 16. EPA for both these teams. Georgia's Georgia's EPA, 6.26. Florida's was negative 16.52. 
And so that is good for an EPA per play for Georgia, 0.78, and for Florida, negative 1.03. Okay, I just, hold on. Can I pause you there? Oh, we we don't oh, yes. do enough, we don't need do a good enough job of like contextualizing these numbers mm-hmm. sometimes when it comes to EPA because the problem with EPA is that it's on it's on a relative scale, so it's kind of hard to know what is good EPA. So just to be clear, like 0.4 EPA for a quarterback is like pretty good, right? UJ doubled that per play in these middle eight plays. Right now, which to be clear is not the middle eight plays of the game. It is during the middle eight minutes, the four minutes mm-hmm. before halftime and the four minutes of after halftime. UGA got about a almost a point a play. That is, yeah. that is the kind of thing that you see in games where like, you know, you play an FCS team and you win like seventy nine to nothing or something. Like that mm-hmm. is r- deeply ridiculous against like a, a conference rival. Oh yeah. So on top of that, still, let me go back to just the bigger game. So that's just the middle eight. The bigger game, total plays to these two teams. Georgia had 59 plays in the day to Florida's 86. Georgia actually had a negative EPA in the game, negative 0.53. And Florida had a negative 27.48, which I believe is perhaps the lowest EPA of a team well, let just, this season, almost. While you're looking while you're looking at that, let if me I'm just not, give you a couple of other things. So, yes, please. UJ's offensive EPA was 2.53 on the day, which is, like, fine. Uh, I mean, fine Mm -hmm. to pretty good. But they actually lost four uh, EPA on penalties. And then they lost another 1.58 EPA on uh, on, um, special teams, right? So they actually, without missing a couple of field goals and having some timely penalties, they were actually on track to have a pretty good EPA day in both a relative and total sense. But they just had some sort of key moments that really swung things. Like, I think it's probably arguable, and EPA doesn't see this like in the way that I'm about to talk about it in terms of flow of the game. But I think if you connect on that first field goal, this game gets out of hand even faster. I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Florida, I don't really believe in momentum, but I do believe that defenses especially feed off of success. And so giving Florida that success, like when you miss a field goal, when you decide to kick it on fourth and one inside of your own 30, which is a bad decision. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, Kirby. But when you when you make that decision, which is not a good one, and then you fail, right? Even though the defense didn't really succeed because it just happened because of the decision you made, they still feel like they got a fourth down stop, right? And so I think that missing that field goal and having like a couple of other key miscues in terms of penalties and just sort of like, blown assignments actually made this game closer than it had to be right i think there's an argument to be made that if you just play like not even a clean game but if you play just like 15 percent cleaner or like one or two plays this would have gone from a blowout to a really big blowout and mm-hmm. what's wild about it is that like the same is not true in the reverse you know what i'm saying like if mm-hmm. you give florida a couple of big plays back like maybe they don't throw the pick six you're still up 17 nothing like, for this to be a close game, they have to basically not commit any of the three turnovers they committed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and I get it, live by the turnover, die by the turnover. But, like, dude, like, two of those turnovers were, like, coached turnovers. They were not, like, random fumbles. Like, Nolan Smith decided not to tackle and attack the ball in a big moment, right? Like, uh, Nicobe Dean, like, baited 
basically if uh, I think Graham has something really good on this Graham coffee at dog out has something really good on this about this on his Twitter. Basically, Nicobe Dean saw, uh, he saw Anthony Richardson throw that, that little like flat pass to wide receiver on a similar look earlier in the play earlier in the game. And he was playing zone at that point, or he's at least playing soft man. And he like baited Anthony Richardson into making that play and then ran it back. Right. Like those are, those were, those were not random. Like, you know, you get 50% of the fumbles that you cause turnovers. Those were like, you know, you have a 285 pound defensive lineman and Trayvon, uh, and Trayvon, what's Trayvon's last name? 44. Walker. Walker, sorry. Yeah. And Trayvon Walker, who drops back into coverage on an out coming off of a fire blitz, and he tips a pass that gets intercepted by your 265 pound defensive end. Right. That's like, to me, that pass that the, the Nolan Smith interception was just like, it was the synthesis of what Kirby Smart wants to do as a football coach in that pass. It was, it was, complimentary defense that got backed up by complimentary football by scoring in the next play caused by two five stars that are freaks of nature that can play anywhere on the field. I mean, it was like, if you want to see what Kirby smarts vision for the team is, that's it. It's that play. Anyway. So looping back around to uh, just a moment ago, the only team that has a lower total EPA, I just wanted to loop back around and say is uh, UAB who we beat 56 to seven. Uh, the difference between those two is negative 27.7 for UAB. Florida has a negative 27.48. So just, just a little bit more, uh, dirt in that wound. And Mm -hmm. I I think that you may have said this the other day, but you gave me words to express it. But the idea that this team can still turn over the ball three times and come away with such a decisive victory after this is just that like this defense is unreal it's unreal it's it's unbelievable to watch this defense play football uh and it's it's a very special time for all of us and i'm glad to be here with you yeah it's i mean i I guess that gives us a moment um before i'd like to transfer transition into our observations when we talk Mm -hmm. about you know literally losing the words to be hyperbolic about this defense i I do Mm want to point out a couple of things that i think are Pretty powerful, and I don't think I'm the first one to, to to point this out. But a couple of things that I think really show, like Todd Munkin being smart in this game. So, like UGA on the year has been running uh, inside zone read about 20% of the time. They've run it 94 times for a 50% success rate. It's about 18% of their plays run, and it accounts for about 14% of their yards. Right. <laughs> Uh, in inside of inside reserve room, that's usually either inside slam or bluff read. Those are the two most run plays inside of that concept. So I think that's interesting because they ran inside zone read only 13% of the time in this game, but they also ran um, what SEC stat cat would classify as inside power read, but they ran counter six times in this game, uh, which had been run like 20 something times by LSU. And on those six times, they had an 83% success rate. And an average yards gained of 12.83. So like what I think is interesting is that Todd Munkin saw that like Florida is not going to be able to fix this in one week, even if they know they're bad against counter. So I'm just going to run it. And he actually ran it. I think on the first run of the play or the first play of the game, he's also killing people with flood, uh, which is like that PA boot is usually a flood play where Stetson rolls out and he has like a tight end rolling across in front of him. And then he has like a deep crosser on the second level. And he usually, he hits the tight end on that, that route a lot, but, uh, and then running like cross and Y cross and shallow cross. Um, so flood variations was still there, which I thought was interesting because 
um, I, it's like the from a concept uh, point standpoint, this this offensive game plan is really interesting because like Munkin didn't think he had to change much to beat this team. You know what I mean? He ran mm-hmm. counter a little bit more because he thought that they didn't they weren't schematically sound against it. But then he just pretty much ran flood variations, screens, shot variations, inside zone read, inside power read, like outside zone. Those those like five or six concepts, those are the most run concepts on the year, right? And he changed like one play and then he just ran it until they could stop it, which they couldn't, right? And so like, even though Florida did have a lot of success in the first half, at, at, you know, well, not a lot, I will say some success in the first half limiting Georgia's offense. I thought it was interesting that he was willing to just like, not go outside of what he knew this team was good at, right? And and to me, that was like, I don't know, really impressive. And it was a really kind of ballsy move to mm-hmm. like go pretty shallow in the in the playbook. Like he ran stick a couple of, he ran stick once, he ran spot triangle once, he ran slant variations once. Like all of these things are things that he's been running the entire year. And the only thing he really changed is he started hitting red tackle counter a couple of times. And it's like, to me, that's like the greatest show of disdain I can think of, right? I'm not saying he didn't game plan for this team. He obviously did. It was just like, he didn't think he had to pull like to go very deep in the book. This is not like some 3D chess thing where I'm saying like, oh, they're saving more plays for Alabama. I'm saying like, they didn't think they had to. Right. They thought mm-hmm. they could save plays without needing to save for Alabama or anybody. They thought they could just like run their stuff and get points on this team. And it worked. And they did. Yeah. And they did. All right. Uh, a great time was had by all. Yeah. Do you want to talk about our, uh, do you want to talk about a, uh, just observations, what we saw, what we want to talk about? Uh, you've got some good, good notes here. Actually hit me with yours. Uh, well, I mean, as we were kind of saying earlier, I've run out of words to use about this defense. I, <laughs> yes. I mean, they're just, I, they're like, I, I was listening to, when I got home, I had a moment where like, I had like, I had like 25,000 steps on the watch at that point. And I just had to sit down before I watched, went and watched the Braves game with some of the staff. And I was sitting there on my bed in the hotel and I put on uh, the, the uh, shutdown full cast live recording. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was, uh, I'm going to say Jason, Jason from Shutdown Flowcast said that basically this defense is the is like 2019 LSU. They're like the, they're like the defensive version of 2019 LSU. Yes. Where something where this weird alchemy happens and a team just does things that have never been done before on the football field and like that's what this team is. I I think on Shutdown Flowcast they said it was like watching someone drop a chicken into a tiger cage on every snap. <laughs> I think Dog Sports said that it was like this defense is like uh, the Predator from the Predator movies if it could feel disrespected. I, <laughs> to, to me, it's like this defense is what happens when you don't have to protect anyone. Yeah. When you don't, like, I think and it was really obvious when they put Chris Smith in there. And they were like, Chris Smith is going to clean up everything on the backside. He's going to jump on these, like, you know, he jumped on the running back on the running back pass. He jumped on the wheel route, like he kept everything tricky in front of him. And I think when they saw that they could do that, they were like, all right, we can do whatever we want. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what happens when you really have your full playbook on every snap. Like I think, and I'm, I'm not a very good X's and O guys really on defense, even more than I'm not a very good X's and O's guy on offense, which I'm not, but it's even worse on defense. But like, I think you can tell if you just watch like even a cursory, like watch of like, where do play, where do people go on this defense at the snap? It's like, 
Dan Lanning really can use the whole book on every play because there's not a concept in the playbook that these guys can't execute. And that that is incredibly rare. Yeah. Like every year you have to narrow down stuff because you only have one good defensive end or you only have one good cornerback or one of your safeties can cover really well, but he can't hit or your defensive tackle can either plug the plug the run or you have another defensive tackle that can rush the passer. Everybody on the starting 11 of this, of this defense can execute the entire playbook. Yeah. And I like that. And that doesn't happen. Like, I, I don't know how else to say that. It just doesn't happen. Like it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's unreal in the very literal sense, as in like, it does not happen in college football, right? Like, I mean, like I thought Nolan Smith had an incredibly, incredibly good day, just not not just because like obviously he had some highlight plays, but he was just really smart the whole game. Like you can tell the game is slowed down for him. He's making interceptions. He's causing fumbles at the right moment. He looked really great in the great in the pass rush. He looked good against the run. Um, you know, this is something I think Richard Johnson pointed out from Split Zone Duo that like Channing Tindall like lost contain on a little like it wasn't an angle route, but it was like a running back route out of the out of the backfield. He was running like an H back, I guess, cross. And he, he lost containing he went the wrong way. The running back was cutting in from him and he went out and then he ran the running bouts route for him. Like he ran back and got ahead of the running back route and then broke up a pass that wasn't even being thrown to that running back. Cause he was so far ahead of the running back who had gotten in front of him. Like that doesn't happen. Uh-uh. That's, that's all that, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that you just like, you have, your average college football defense or even your above average college football defense that's gritty and good and plays plays really well has like a Nicobe Dean and that's it. Or they have a Nolan Smith mm-hmm. or they have a Tramel Wathauer or they have a, or I mean, Devonta Wyatt or they have a uh, Trayvon Walker and they have one of those guys. And then he becomes like the darling and everyone's talking about him constantly. Georgia has 11 of those guys. Yeah. I, that's that's what it is. Um, outside of the defense, I mean, I thought. I mean, are we gonna? Di, are, do you want to talk about the quarterback? Well, let me say two good things about the <laughs> offense. I, I thought the offensive line looked really confused at times in the first half. It seemed like after that run from White uh, after the turnover on the short field and they had a touchdown, they had a really good se- really good second level combo block from the interior of the offensive line. And I thought they looked way better after that. I thought there were just times where it wasn't even like they weren't executing blocks. It was like they were just like blocking the wrong guy or we'd run counter and like uh, we'd run counter. We'd run power and we'd swing an offensive lineman and he would just go after the wrong guy and block him well, but just be in the wrong place. Right. And so it seemed like they cleaned some of that up. I still think I would like to see more from the O-line of just like, let's play a complete game. Right. I don't think the O-line has really played a four quarter game against a good SEC team yet, which is like. You know, that's gentle criticism. I think they can. Mm-hmm. They just have to kind of get it together early in the game a little bit more. Um, you know, what are you going to say about Samir White, man? I mean, he's he's running himself into being a star. Right? He just looks stronger really than is. everybody else. He looks stronger he's than everybody so else. so big. And, and we're using him well. I think we're doing kind of an NBA thing where, like, we are the Spurs, and we know we're the Spurs, and we gave him some nights off in, like, you know, December and January. And now it's, like, March, and he's still fresh. And you mm-hmm. can tell, like, you know, he goes through the fourth quarter and he, like, is not tired. No. Because he has a lot of tread on the tire because we're using him well. And I think that that kind of, like, NBA-style management of running back cores is, like, actually a thing that UGA has been doing pretty well for a while. And I think it's really paying off this season in particular because you just see just guys get into the game, they're not tired, and they just run people over. 
I mean, like James James Cook, who is I I walked right by him. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Uh, as the captains were coming out, I was walking back off of the field after post-game, after pre-game. Mm-hmm. And James Cook was just standing there looking very serious. And I walked by and I was like, hey, good luck, man. I was like from, <laughs> you know, like like six inches away from him. And he just looks at me and then he just like no look fist bumps me. And it was the coolest thing. <laughs> the coolest thing like, that's ever happened The coolest to thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying I was cool in that moment. I just like put my fist up and accepted the dap. But like, he didn't even, he was like, he looked at me and he was like, and he looked back out the field and just like put his fist up. And it was like, I felt like the Coke commercial where mean Go- Joe Green throws his jersey at the guy. I was like, I'm never <laughs> washing my hand again. This is the best moment of my life. Anyway, I love but that. Like, James Cook was like knocking people over in the fourth quarter and he weighs like 110 pounds. That's an exaggeration, but it's like, well, I think we managed the, yeah, I think we managed the running backs well. And I think that's going to continue to pay off for us because keep in mind, and we, we we were talking about this at band uh, band practice this week, like that the halftime of if UGA is going to win the national title, halftime of the Florida game was halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Halftime of the Florida game was halftime of the season if we're going to go to the national title. So like managing minutes and managing like you know just tread on the tires for impact positions and rotating as much as we do on defense. These are these are like in like specific strategies that are going to help us going forward, and I think that's really helpful. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the quarterback. I think we have to... <laughs> this has kind of been your thing each week of like, hey, Nathan, they're still talking about it in the news. Is it bad? Is I, it good? Uh, what is the deal? Now it seems like there might be something to discuss now. And there may be some out there with their tinfoil hats that are wondering, is there something we're not aware of what's going on? Uh, so tell us. Tell tell the, the the inquiring minds. Is there something we should worry about? Not in the sense that is JT not as good as he was? Is Stetson much better? It's more of like a, what is happening? Well, I'll, okay. I think there's two possibilities. I think I know which one is true because I think you have to, I think you at this point have to pretend that Kirby Smart is smart and who, that Kirby Smart is smart and that, ha ha ha. He's like an intelligent guy, and he's going to do the smarter of these two options, okay? So the smart option is JT Daniels is healthy, but he hasn't practiced. The, the, the medical staff is worried about his injury, which could be re- easily re-aggravated. They thought they were going to put him in in the second half. I think that they're my sort of, if you want to hear my tinfoil, tinfoil hat conspiracy, I think yes. if this, this game goes to half at 3 nothing, that we see JT Daniels. I really do. But I think that we're twenty-four nothing. Why do you put him in? If you have a, if you have credible, credible Jesus Nathan, if you have credible <laughs> evidence to show that JT Daniels could easily reaggravate a lad injury, and you're up twenty-four points or twenty-one points or whatever it was, it, it doesn't make sense to, to to put him in, right? And so that I think is the intelligent take or is the intelligent option where it's like. Kirby Smart probably wants JT Daniels to smart to start. Kirby Smart needs JT Daniels to be as healthy as he can be to get all the way through the stretch run, and he also would like him to practice more to get the rust off. So, in that scenario, maybe you see Stetson against Missouri. We see some JT at the end of the game against Missouri, or we see JT mixed in. Maybe we see maybe we don't see JT at all, but we see him against you know Tennessee a little bit or Charleston Southern a little bit, right? And you know, we go into Georgia Tech, and then JT Daniels probably takes over by Georgia Tech. Is kind of what I could see. Or maybe Charleston Southern, mm-hmm. JT Daniels takes the job back. Now, 
that is assuming that like everyone's healthy and we're all playing at like the top of our ability level, right? Because there's also like, an, uh, there's also the option that like JT just is not healthy or he has regressed for some reason. So I guess that's option three, right? But just assuming that he hasn't regressed and he is getting healthier, I think the scenario is, sure, you probably start Stetson against Missouri and you start bringing in, you start bringing in JT, you knock the rest off. I think it's pretty clear that this is a team that knows what they have in Stetson Bennett for good and for ill, right? You ran 55% of the time. Uh, you ran 29 run plays, six RPOs, and 23 pass plays. Part of that's because Florida can't defend the pass, but part of that is also just because, you know, um, you probably know what you have in Stetson Bennett, which is not a bad quarterback, to be clear. I like Stetson. I don't think he's bad, right? I don't even, I'm not even saying he can't beat Alabama. I'm, I'm just saying I think Kirby Smart would prefer if JT took the job because I think mm -hmm. that he processes faster. I think he's more decisive. I don't even know that he has more arm strength, but I just think he gets the ball down the field a lot easier at some point. And sometimes he doesn't press on downfield play action throws, which Stetson will. And I think you also know, you know, in the first half, the offensive line is having a bad day and, you know, Stetson's getting flushed. And in that scenario, yeah, it makes sense to put a guy in who can run away from pressure. So the smart version of this is we start to see JT a little bit more. And then, you know, JT either like sort of takes over the job, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech, maybe Tennessee, something like that. Okay. And then there's the option where maybe Stetson's or JT's regressed. And it's like, I can't account for that. Whatever. If that happens, whatever. I guess that happens. They see it at practice. The stupid version of this and the version that, boy, <laughs> God, do I hope is not happening and I'm trying not to get work myself up about this, but the stupid version is one of two things. Either one, Kirby Smart refuses to play JT Daniels because he thinks it's safer not to change quarterback when he's winning games, which would indicate to me that like, if that was the truth, which we never hear it because no one would ever say that. But if that was the truth, it would indicate to me that like Kirby Smart doesn't have object permanence and he can't remember that we have to play like better teams going forward, right? Or two, Kirby Smart doesn't want to bench Stetson because he thinks it's Stetson's team. Yeah. I know they say on radio that if you're silent for more than three seconds, you start to sound stupid. But, like, I don't... <laughs> maybe I do, but I don't... If one of those is true, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Like, I, I, I guess we just can't trust Kirby Smart with quarterbacks. It's like, you know... Once is a coincidence, twice is a pattern, and three times is enemy action. And it's like, I think we're kind of approaching that point. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that you're going to see more JT Daniels. And I think, you know, a lot of this is probably just Kirby Smart smoke screens. He probably knows he doesn't like JT Daniels' health situation right now. And he's saying it anyway just to screw with people. And that's fine. He doesn't owe me that. But, like, if, if JT Daniels is healthy, and if JT Daniels is playing at the best of his ability... It doesn't matter whose team it is. It doesn't matter, like, what con continuity doesn't matter in this situation. Who gives you the best chance to win the national title? I don't care about anything else. This isn't Rudy, right? <laughs> Rudy got in for one play in a game that Notre Dame was already winning. I don't care about the stories. It's been 41 years since we've gotten a ring and I want to get a Georgia tattoo. I do not give a shit whose team this is, who can beat in order Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama. Because if you can't do that, you shouldn't be starting. 
And in a situation where JT Daniels is healthy and doesn't start for some weird reason, then it's like, yes, I think it is safe to say that Kirby Smart has a quarterback management problem. I don't think that's what's going to happen, right? But I'm just telling you, be prepared for the end of this podcast if that is what happens, because I will spout a beam of energy out of my mouth <laughs> like the girl from the fifth element and then collapse into a pile of dust if that happens. <laughs> if we lose the national championship with Stetson Bennett starting and JT healthy on the bench, I will turn into Dorian Gray's portrait. Like, I, I will be done. Like, find oh, a buddy. new co-host because, like, I don't know what's going to happen to my body. Oh, buddy. All right. Oh, I, I think I controlled happen. that pretty well. I think you did too. What are some? Uh, do you have some 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 bigger takeaways from this game? How do you feel about it? I mean, I mean, ultimately, you had a pretty bad offensive day, and even, and even outside of Stetson, right? I don't think Stetson was the worst part about the offensive day. He had two stupid picks, but he looked good at times, right? I think the offensive line was a, a big issue. I think the running backs were making chicken salad out of chicken crap a lot of the time. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, like, um, you had a bad offensive day and you won by 27 points, right? I, I had a feeling, kind of moving to my takeaway, I, I feel like this was kind of a sea change game for me, at least my perception of this team. And there have been three games that I've been to that I have this, like, vivid memory of being like, oh, wow, that's different, mm-hmm. right? And the first one was, I think, uh, 2011 Auburn. It was the second year of Todd Grantham. We beat the crap out of a ranked Auburn team. It was like 45 to 14. But that's not even what I cared about. I remember watching that game and being like, oh, the defense is getting on the field and they're not blowing obvious coverages. Oh, the defense knows what they're doing. And they're not perfect, but they like kind of know where they're going. Because that's that have been the problem with Willie Martinez is that like the defense just looked confused a lot of the time, right? And then I remember um, 2017 Florida. That was another one. It was like we were all worried. And we were like, what's going, like, what are we going to do? Like, how do we, like, can we beat this team? They're pretty good. They've got some players. And we just came out there and, like, pretty methodically, like, separated them into quarters like they were a dead chicken, you know? Um, and that was a moment where I felt like, oh, like, this is, like, this is the proof of concept for the Alabama model, right? Is that mm-hmm. you out-recruit teams in, that are your rivals, and then you just, like, sort of, like, butcher them in a very workmanlike fashion. And I feel like 2021 Florida was another sea change. It, it it was just like, this is this is the the product. I think this is the product that Kirby Smart wanted on his first day in Athens in 2015 or 2016 or whatever it was. His first day. I I, I think. Um, I'm trying not to be hyperbolic here, but like, <clears throat> there's a, there's like a question is like of like is Kirby Smart like capable of beating Nick Saban and. And can he win a national title in the Nick Saban era? And like, I don't really have the answers to that question anymore, right? Or at all, not anymore. But like, I I, know, I won't until he does it, right? I don't know if that's I don't know if he can or not. But I think today was the day that I was like, I, I don't think it matters because Saban's going to retire. Yeah. And this is the product on the field that is going to, if it continues at this level, fill the void when Saban retires. <laughs> like this, this was. Like, I, I think that we can just say this, and we can say this even if Georgia doesn't win the national title this year, even if they mm-hmm. lose a game they shouldn't, because Bama has done that too. This That that was Bama. That that Georgia team was Bama. They they are the bully now. 
right? And that was, and in the same way that that, that Nolan Smith play was sort of the synthesis of everything that Kirby Smart wants to do as a coach, I think that this team too is, is it's his thesis. It's his like proof. It's his experimental results, right? It's his proof that like, this sort of like nebulous concept that he had of like making the Kirby th- or making the the Saban thing happen at Georgia and making it happen with Kirby Smart's imprint, it's proof that he can do it. And and it's going to be true whether he wins the national title because I don't know if you look at the recruiting rankings right now, but like Georgia might have like like Georgia could have the highest ranked the the best ranked recruiting class in the history of like modern recruiting this year. Mm-hmm. Like it's on the table, and and a lot of that's because of transfers, but it's not just because of transfers. Like. Uh, Florida had two their highest two ranked quarter uh, commits decommit last in the, in the past two or three weeks, and Georgia could take both of them. Probably won't because they're also going to probably take Ohio State's highest ranked commit that decommitted. Right, like it, like in terms of program health and like future, yeah, we're going to lose a lot from this defense, and yeah, we're probably going to take a step back on defense next year. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. No. Um, and yeah. I would—I don't think next year's team is going to be like world beaters or whatever. But like, I—I I think at this point you see what's on the field, and you see what the second string is, and you see what the third string is, and you see what the recruiting rankings are, and it's just like, we—we we should all expect this to continue, man. Like, yeah, we're gonna have some down years or off years, and we're gonna like go to the Sugar Bowl some or whatever. But like, this—we started this podcast like uh, around the central premise that you just say what you see, and what I see on the field is that like there's nobody really close to this team in terms of just the foundation of what they do. And uh, you might beat this team next year, or you might beat this team this year, but that ain't changing because not all those five stars aren't all seniors. They're not even all draft eligible. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so that was, that was, that was my takeaway to get us kind of moving forward still i want to go through these prediction reviews and then uh hop into the rest of the show because we're not even halfway done really um and we are an hour and 10 in so far so uh oh my god i'm so sorry it's okay (laughs) it was it was a 20 minutes of piss talk probably but you know what it had to happen it was it was important content and here we are so prediction reviews just over and unders and uh general prediction game review uh over under for Anthony Richardson picks. This is one of yours. Point five is what we went for. We both said over. It was actually under. You know, it is what it is. Point five. JT Daniel snaps in the first quarter. You said under. Uh, I figured we'd see him. I. Uh, we, what's that? Hold on. We said point five. Anthony Richardson picks, and we both picked over. Right. So we both got that oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. That's correct. Point um, five. JT Daniel snaps in the first quarter. We were pretty close. I'm sure to seeing him at some point, but defense really turned it around and kept Stetson in the game. They are his biggest cheerleaders, I believe. So that is an under. Over under 35 UGA points scored. You said under. I said over. One point off. Boo. Uh, over <laughs> under 1.5. Bad beat of the year. Yeah, man. Florida UF pl- uh, players ejected. You said under. I said over. Thinking, you know, maybe one, maybe two. Who can say? Uh, they got a little fussy there for a minute, but nothing really bad happened. Then over under 0.5 Emory Jones picks. We both said over. It was indeed under. He had a pretty, a very bland game, uh, I will say. Very white bread game. Uh, overall scores, you guessed Georgia 30 to Florida's 20. Uh, I was at Georgia's 38 to Florida's 13. So, you know, I got that one. And that's something. That's saying something here. But yeah, that's you, you a little did. bit of a... You did you did you did a good job today. 
Thank you. Thank you. I really, I needed, I needed that. <laughs> but uh, hey, before we get into our favorite segment, the Ask CBC segment, uh, we have, we've, we've done this funny thing to ourselves where we, uh, we told everybody on their Patreon, if anybody wanted to create their own segment, they could pay a $50, uh, $50 on Patreon for a segment of their own. And, uh, you know, anybody could do this. Anybody could say like, here's 50 bucks. Talk about piss for 20 minutes. Uh, if we hadn't already done that, but you know, <laughs> I think instead, we made it clear that you don't have to pay us 50 bucks a month for to get us to go to do that. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> so Stephen Shadouin though, instead of asking us to do something absurd, uh, Stephen wanted us to talk about a nonprofit organization that he is very passionate about. And so we're just going to take a quick moment to discuss, uh, something we talked, talked about last week. Uh, <laughs> when I challenged Nathan to, to debate me, which I, you never know what might happen. Uh, but Stephen wanted to talk about the Atlanta Urban Debate League, which I said is a nonprofit organization that provides opportunities for students in underserved Atlanta public schools to engage in competitive debate. If you've never seen a competitive debate, picture students or two grown men like ourselves uh, talking fast with mountains of research, cross-examining each other over important issues ranging from climate change to nuclear proliferation, etc., etc. Uh, the AUDL is providing coaching, after-school activities, competitive tournaments, summer programming, youth enrichment, building leaders of tomorrow. They're serving hundreds of students in the Atlanta area through middle schools and high schools. And may I say, as somebody who has done it myself, competitive debate is a ton of fun. And there are tons of other positive benefits that come through participating in such activities, uh, such as raising academic achievement within school. And it gives students critical thinking and advocacy skills that travel outside of the classroom, perhaps to a podcast one day where they can debate their friends. But uh, how you might be wondering yourself, how do I get involved in such a great opportunity such as the AUDL? Well, let me tell you, friends, they need volunteers to judge debates. They also need your money, as any nonprofit does. As uh, someone who runs a nonprofit myself, let me say, I would love your money. It would be super cool if you would contribute your hard-earned money so that I could give books to kids. But first, here, Atlanta, let's get kids arguing with one another in a professional and uh, timed and formal manner through the Atlanta Urban Debate League. So check out atlantadebate.org for ways to support them and to get engaged. If you do donate to them, just say uh, go dogs in the comment section so that we know where it's coming from. And uh, if you are in the dog diaspora and you live near a uh, major metropolitan area, there is probably a similar Urban Debate League organization near you from Houston to L.A. to New York. There are Urban Debate Leagues across the country that need your help. But first, go check this one out. Uh, debate.org. I did it. Uh, I, did a, I did a thing. I did it. Did you hear me? I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I gave you a moment um, so we can get right back into what we have already said and everybody knows is our favorite segment of the show. It's an Ask CBC segment. Uh, if you just want to send us questions, folks, or uh, wait for us to record and we'll let you know on Twitter when that happens, uh, you can send us questions or you can Gmail us, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We may just answer your question. The very first question comes from Gmail. I have grown to love the Gmail questions because they are so formal in their delivery. So, this one comes from Madzilla Alexander. Hello, spooky Justin and nefarious Nathan. I hope you both had a great Halloween weekend. I did. Uh, George's D line definitely scared the poop out of Dan Mullen's khakis. Questions. The Georgia QB mystery thickens with each game. Is JT's injury way worse than they're making it out to be? Is Kirby keeping him as an ace in the hole for postseason games? 
Nothing makes sense. I don't mind seeing Stetson run the offense, but shouldn't they try to find packages for each QB and give them both some pre, both some snaps? Uh, I'll let you answer that a little bit. There's a little bit, you've answered that already, obviously, but there's a little bit more about why don't they give them some packages to offer them both snaps? I mean, we see running backs run back and forth between giving them both <sighs> snaps. I mean, I, there there is a in-game, I don't know that from the game to game, like when you have two quarterbacks at this level, that that continuity matters, which is what I was saying earlier about continuity mm-hmm. not mattering. But I do think like in game continuity does matter and having the same guy out there and like knowing his tendencies is important. So that's probably why I also think that I don't, my like sort of like 3d chess hair. Hold on. Let me stick my hair up. Like aliens um, theory <laughs> is that JT Daniels is not fully healthy. So I think that in that sense, it makes sense. You don't want to run him out there from one play and then get him, have him get hurt. Mm-hmm. Bonus question. Who is the Zodiac Killer and why is it Dan Mullen? He has a penchant to talk to himself in the third person. He's got crazy eyes and looks like he knows how to dispose of a victim. I don't I don't think he's got this. I don't think he's the Zodiac Killer because the Zodiac Killer was like... Ted Cruz. You know, effective. <laughs> I, I mean, like, if Dan Mullen were the Zodiac Killer, he would have, he like, like, punched one guy in the face and then decided that it was actually better to not recruit weapons, you mm-hmm. know, and then just tried to slap people to death or whatever. So, <laughs> no, I don't think it's him. ATA presidents, how much worse can Dan Clown Opossum get without getting fired so that we can hate in perpetuity? Uh, yeah, that's going to be a problem. If he, if he loses any of the next four, especially if he loses Florida State, yeah, he might, uh, he might be gone. But I think if he wins the next four, which we should all be rooting for, right? Yeah, uh, he'll he'll come back next year and he'll just fire his whole defensive staff. What will happen to his twenty quarterbacks? Where will they go? What will they do? If I mean, Dan, I'm, if Daddy Dan is not there to help them, I did. At actually say, "Oh no, you added." No, that. I said all that. I, I don't know. We'll have to start like a a, a a used quarterback like recovery center or whatever for Florida mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Mm. Justin's home for wayward quarterback boys. <laughs> Please save these boys. Where they're all. They'll all discover weird magical powers. Hmm. And someone else's wife will kiss them all, I guess. I don't know. Who can say? Dumbledore's wife. Or no, Dumbledore's gay, actually, so no no wife there. But Dumbledore's husband may kiss them all. Who can say? Uh, Smith, in ordinary, I'm honestly not sure how to ask this, but how are y'all calculating what I call, quote-unquote, the number? That is the amount of points this D would give up to Bama on a good day or good Oklahoma peak Ohio State. I just think there is a growing ditch between the idea of these great offenses and the actual data we have. Florida was supposed to be our main comparison, but they turned out to be dog shit. We have Tennessee left in tech, but other than that, how do you use analytics to try and gain insight on things you might not have any true relevant data about? All right, I'm going to try to do this like in 30 seconds and not embarrass myself. So, you know, Quant Dog and uh, Steven Chaduin and anybody else who is on the cbcr chat i'm sorry in advance y'all i'm about to mess this up but basically when you do predictive models that estimate points scored you can come up with like an average net point scored number over an average team and the reason that you do that model in that way is so that you can have a comparative like basically a comparative score of how many t- how many points would this team score against an average team right so you can very easily get into at least like a um you can get yourself sort of like a range of how many points apart these teams are 
in the absolute sense, right? Like if Georgia is 29 points on SP plus, they're in the 29, I think range and Tennessee is 14 points above the average team in SP plus, then we would say that we expect Georgia to win by about 15, right? So then getting more into that, if we get average net points uh, gained by the offense and surrendered by the defense, then we can really start like doing some comparisons to work out what we predict that these teams on an average night would do, right? So that, that gives us sort of like the statistical version, which I'm sure I just butchered. So I'm sorry again, <laughs> people that are in the, the quant dog chat, but I think, you know, going from there, I think one of the, one of the problems with this defense is that they are kind of breaking our numbers. They are three and a half standard deviations per our in season model. I think the last time I looked, they are three and a half standard deviations above the average defense on a, in a college football season. Uh, just to be clear, like on a bell curve, this, this, you know, the namesake of this team of this mm-hmm. uh, podcast on a bell curve, three and a half standard deviations would be like, one standard deviation is the center curve, right? The center hump, right? That, that's from the middle, right? And uh-huh, two uh-huh. standard deviations is like the curve down. And then three standard deviations is like the tiny little t- point of the curve before it gets to the bottom. And then three and a half standard deviations is where like the line is touching the bottom of the axis. Like that's how far out we are of what you would expect an average college defense would be. So I think that like UJ's defense performance is actually lagging. Like our, the, the indicators of how good our defense is are actually lagging. I don't think the statistics have caught up with them. So you have to just take the numbers the statistics give you and like minus like six basically is what I would do. Mm-hmm. So next question, Andrew and Delicato, how bad did Kirby break, Kirby break Mullen that now Mullen might be fired by the end of the week so he can go recruit? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bad. You gotta wonder what he whispered to him at the postgame handshake. He probably I do it was that the sometimes. same thing. It was the same thing that Nick Fury whispered to Thor to make him not worthy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bryce asks, "How many points does the Sardukar offense score on UGA?" Those of you that are not indoctrinated yet, this is a Dune reference. The Sardukar are some of the the Emperor's uh, troops. Those of you that might be wondering. Well, not many because the Sardaukar were like inherently corrupted by the, I mean, what we eventually find out is the Butler, the Butlerian dynasty, which is actually called, give me a second. When the Butler, when the Butlerian Jihad ends, the guy who started it, Butler, he changes his name and uh, the Padishah emperor uh, takes over or he changes his name to being like the Padishah Emperor, but Carino, the Carino dynasty, they changed their names. So like the Sadarkar were actually suborned by the Carinos, and you can tell by their behavior on Arrakis in the first book of Dune that they're not actually the like immovable holy warriors that they're presented as, and they're actually pretty corrupted, right? They disguise themselves among the Harkonnen troops. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say not many, because in this scenario, UGA's defense are the Fremen. So they're like smart and you know know how to do asymmetrical warfare everybody mm. read dune it's one of the best things yep. ever written by a human next Y'all. next question um speaking of dune quisat satarak give a dog a bone <laughs> oh, jesus okay i read it earlier that, and i did it? not was laugh that the whole like thing? that <laughs> was that the whole <laughs> the next was that's there the a next username <laughs> okay we can run. We ran counter on play one. Was this strategy to see if Todd Damn Grantham learned how to stop it, or was Kirby just double bird saluting to pissy pants TT boy from get go? 
What a I mean, beautiful look, work I, of art of a question. That 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 look. This question should be hung in the Louvre, right? Uh, it was beautiful, but I gotta say, dude, th- something can be two things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, both. And then also uh, a follow up thoughts on the Dune film. Thank you. Um, have right, you seen so it we'll yet? Be recording it. I have. Yeah, we'll be recording Ugh. a two hour long podcast on this later this week. Have you seen? Yes, it? I have. I have seen it. I want to go see it again. Uh, okay. I, I've only actually I haven't seen it in theaters and I really want to. Okay, um, Dune is Dune is is written the Dune series is written at the level of subtlety and um, sort of like granularity and clarity of purpose that Game of Thrones pretends that it's written at but never was. Mm-hmm. Dune is a truly sociological story that tells a sociological story through a psychological lens. Basically impossible. It's very, very rarely been done in the Western canon. It is not hyperbole to say, I really do believe that Dune is one of the best things that humanity has written. And like, if we were going to give one thing to the rest of the universe, it would, one of them would be Dune. Um, yeah. And so my expectations are high, high enough that when I say I really like this movie, uh, I need everyone to understand what level of compliment that is. Like, yes, this movie is basically unadaptable. It's like neuromancer levels of unadaptable. It is impossible to put on a screen and somehow they did it justice. They did it. Uh, I'm kind of worried about them getting the rest of them out because like, I know they haven't started on the second one, which is actually just going to be the second half of the first novel, but Mm -hmm. in a vacuum, like, do I like this movie? Does it capture what Dune was trying to do? Yes. Also, please do not get up in the point of this. I think personally, the point of this is that like, yes, Paul Atreides is a white messiah. That's the point. The point point. is that messiahs are kind of messed up, right? Like he is the white messiah for some like weird fate destiny reasons, but he's also the white messiah because of like, these like implanted cultural memories that his mom's like order of weird nuns who date, who, who marry people politically, the Benny Gesserit have implanted in Arrakis. So like he is leveraging like pre-existing like planted mythologies from the colonizers from the get go. His sort of like credibility as a Messiah figure and his lack of credibility as a Messiah figure is the actual point. Right. And the fact that we're combining that sort of inherently corrupt Messiah figure on top of, of, of what is essentially like a German build as Roman story, build up, build does Roman story means that we are predisposed to think of Paul Atreides as like the good guy, which he is because he has like, he does have good motivations. He's just trying to do the right thing. But the point is that like inherently calling anyone a Messiah figure is a corrupting influence, right? Power is a corrupting influence. Like Paul is not uh Lord Harkonnen, but like he, falls prey to the same things that Harkonnen does in many ways. All right, we got to stop. <laughs> we, we gotta uh, stop. We, we're, I'm stopping it. Uh, old-time old, old favorite, West Coast Mark asks, does Dan Mullen travel in a Kia Rio with the entire coaching staff? Hashtag clown car. <laughs> I mean, I think he they can all afford it. A Geo Metro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to make sure... Th- yeah, I think I'm going to say a Geo Metro. A Geo Metro with a, con- a convertible Geo Metro because he thinks he's oh, cool. Gross. And he drives up in it and he's like, it's Britney, bitch, or whatever. All right, <laughs> carry on. Uh, Robert Heider asks, got any favorite sci-fi books you'd like to recommend? Dune. First Dune. and foremost. Uh, uh, Nathan really loves see. Neuromancer. I know that. Yeah. Uh, if I was going to give you like 
all right. So, uh, Dune, Neuromancer, Snow Crash. Um, I'm trying to just give you like a brief tour of the history of science fiction. Um, we got to get some like Afrofuturism in there. So we'll say Dawn by Octavia Butler. Ooh, yeah. Um, if you haven't read, if you want to get into something new and weird and a little bit more online, the cradle series is very good. Like, uh, Chinese fantasy slash science fiction. The three body problem is very good. Hard science fiction from China. Um, he who fights monsters is a very good web novel, but it's being turned into a novel and it's a very interesting adaptation, interesting exploration of the web novel format. Uh, this is a fun question. I like, I think this is really fun. And I'd love to hear if, if any of you listening have your own, uh, exchange rates for all of this, I would love to hear them as well. And so I'll, I'll get right into it. So user by the name of SC on our Patreon or on our discord, excuse me. Uh, People always talk about, would you rather this team win a title or that team? Uh, I think these are sort of lame questions, they say. What I really want to know are people's exchange rates for titles. Take your top two favorite sports teams, for instance. To get your number one team a title, you have to totally crater your number two team for a certain number of years. How long would you crater number two to get a title for number one? Uh, And they provide an example. Uh, I'd created the Braves. We're talking last place, no hope for at least 12 years to get a UGA natty. I'd created the Falcons for 20 years. I'd let the Hawks change cities. <laughs> I My second favorite team is probably the Braves. It used to be the Falcons, but I hate the way they were run by former U, UF fan, but I'll probably get back into them once they rebuild. So, yeah, I mean, I like all three of the major sports teams. I like ATL United, um, but my love for Georgia is such that I would launch – Every sports organization in the state of Georgia, including all of the high school football games, all the way down to Pop Warner football and T-ball into the fucking sun, if I could get one UGA national title. And not Uh the people, to be clear, but all of the infrastructure, all of the like deeds of titles, all of the organization, all of the branding, I would wipe it from the earth like it was a bad ex-girlfriend from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind to get a title from UGA. (laughs) Uh, I think I'd go back through the entire (laughs) sending the thrashers to Winnipeg again. I think I'd do it one more time uh, just to make this happen. And those of you who don't know. I would send the Braves, Thrashers, Falcons, and the ATL United. Hell, throw the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, yeah. I would throw throw the entire rest of the SEC to Winnipeg. And Winnipeg could just be the sports city of international sports city, right, to get Georgia a national title. Oh, yeah. I'm here for it. Let's make it happen. Uh, Jay Ashley asks, what does it take to call up inside zone on the goal line and hand it off to Jordan Davis? Is this the final hurdle to cross to secure a Jordan Davis Heisman? Well, bro, broma, sorry, bro, bro, ma pointed, uh, out, yes. on our, pointed out on our chat today that Missouri has one of the worst, uh, one of the worst running uh, defenses in the FBS. So it feels like this is the week. It could happen. This is the one. Irk Russell, is there anything better than making Mullen channel his inner Butch Jones after the game using lame metaphors talking about not dropping the rope? Um, I, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to, to parse that question. Can you read that question around me again for me? Yes. I, is there anything better I, than making Mullen channel his inner Butch Jones after the game using lame metaphors talking about not dropping the rope? I tried to make not dropping the rope part of the rest of the sentence instead of part of the metaphor. Uh, yep. No, it is the best by th- it is the best thing, brick by brick. Hashtag uh, championships are nowhere. Let's go. <laughs> Adam H, what's up with Dot Pod? 
there were some some uh yeah some i mean it was really windy there. it was really i mean i don't think that was a great kick i don't know anything about kicking so i can't really give you a real mm-hmm. answer same but i it didn't look like a very good kick and it was really windy he's clearly off his game er and follow up why was kirby giving ringo the business on the sideline at the end of the game oh he left a guy and this was really obvious because it was on our side of the it was like coming towards our end zone uh keely ringo left a guy wide ass open uh on a play and it didn't end up getting exploited because they didn't even read that side of the field i don't think but to kirby smart's credit he yelled at him and then Jamel Adai came over, and I watched all this happen in real time, but Jamel Adai came over and was like a little bit nicer to them. And then Kirby Smart came over, and they put him back in the play, like into the game, like three minutes later. Uh, and like when they put him back in the game, Kirby Smart said something to him and tapped him on the helmet. So it was clear that, like, while it was fiery, it was not like abusive. So I think he just, he just did a freshman thing where he just like left a guy, like, he was like 20, 20 yards from like the nearest defender, kind of open. So you ready for our second uh, Patreon segment here today? I am. Hit me with the basis, the context. Yeah, so this is from this is from from Ben and Abby, and I think this is probably more of an Abby question. Ben got his question in last week about role playing game systems, and now we're gonna get a we're gonna get a college football question. I think from Abby here. So tell us who you think which teams in the SEC are, are all the anonymous quotes um, from the athletic article about Florida. And do a dramatic reading of it if you can. So I don't know if you read this article, but there was an article in The Atlantic today that had a bunch of anonymous coaching quotes, and it was about how Florida is, like, soft. No. So, so I'm going to read these uh-huh. dramatically, and I want you to tell me who, what coaching staffs you think they are. All right, okay. you ready? I'm going to read see. you some quotes. Uh, this is from an SEC East coach. Doesn't specify. Florida, they just don't play hard. Georgia's trying to rip your head off. They might be up 30 to 0, 30 to nothing, and their linebackers are flying up the field to get after your ass. Florida is a finesse team. Kentucky plays hard. You watch UF on tape, they've got some skill, but they're not physical. That's either I think that's either South Carolina or uh-huh. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky, I don't think they're that uppity. What All do right. you think? Um, yeah, SEC East, that might be Kentucky, but I could see it being like a little bit of sour grapes from South Carolina. Um, Uh we were more physical and much better than them in the box. This is an SEC offensive coach who played them this year. We were mauling them. Oh, who was that? Is that LSU? I think that, yeah, LSU feels like a likely culprit because the, the, uh, Orgeron just got fired. This is an SEC East defensive coach. This is the one that I think might be Georgia. <laughs> so, what in the world are they trying to get done? Last year, they were doing some really unsound things defensively. They just do some crazy, goofy things. They're odd. I can't imagine Kirby saying goofy for some reason. Yeah, but I think it could be Dan Lanning. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, this is my favorite one, right? This is from an from an SEC offensive coach. We'll do this uh-huh. as the last one. Uh, no, we'll, we'll do we'll do two more, or we'll do this one and one more. Okay. We thought going in that it was going to be one of the best defenses we faced, but they just weren't physical. They don't look motivated, no, motivated, not fired up, no juice. Mm, who says juice? 
Mm-hmm. Who says juice? This is an SEC coach. Mm-hmm. Ooh, SEC probably... offensive coach. This one could be Kentucky, actually. That feels more Kentucky. Yeah, no juice. Yeah. Unexpected. All right, here's win. the last one. Yeah. Schematically, they make no adjustments on defense. They have no <laughs> answers. They'll stay in a too high shell as long as they can. They walk Jeremiah Moon down to create a five man front, and they think they can stop the run with just that, but they can't. Damn. This could also be LSU, though. Because <laughs> they yeah. scored 40 well, LSU. Our... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this one feels really like Georgia because they did this to them. This is from an SEC offensive coach. Grantham spends all of his time on third down packages with exotic pressures, but you can run the ball on them on third downs. There's no one in their front seven that scares you. They used to have defensive ends that were pass rush phenoms. They used to have shut down corners. They don't have either now. Yeah. Yeah. That could be Georgia. That feels like Georgia to me. Anyway. Damn, they got everybody's got some stuff to say about Florida right now. Dude, I think people hate Dan Mullen. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. That is my theory. All right. And that's our show. Do you want to see us out? Yes, I would love to. This has been Shaffle Bell Curve. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast, including Spotify. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and by, by searching Chapel Bell Curve by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you feel so inclined. Local bathroom walls also work. Five Ooh, stars. Yes. Talked about P a lot would be a great one to write on a <laughs> urinal wall. <laughs> no. If you would like, if you would like to support uh, everyone's favorite P podcast, Chapel Bell Curve. If you would like to support this even more, which at this point, why? Uh, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. For some reason, the more I tell people not to give us money, the more money they give us. Anyway, we will catch you this weekend in the Classic City for the upcoming game against the Missouri Tigers. Uh, but until then, go, go dogs. dogs.